Welcome, everyone, to Dr. Dave on Call. We have a uh, truly exciting show for you today. It's uh, been about a month in the making, actually. Today, we're going to talk about my experience in the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine trial. So I wanted to wait until I had both vaccines, and they are actually spread apart by about a month or so. So I wanted to make sure I received my second vaccine so that I could bring you my complete experience and my thoughts about the trial. And today we're going to talk about everything, why I decided to volunteer for the study, uh, how the recruitment process took place, my visits to the research center, how I felt after I received the vaccines, and some of my thoughts about the trial and uh, the COVID vaccine um, process in general. But first, I wanted to remind those who are enjoying our podcast uh, to continue to subscribe to it, give us some feedback, uh, rate us too as well. Uh, Check out our website too. It's drdavoncall.com. You can find all of our episodes too as well. And if you are watching us on YouTube, uh, please go ahead and subscribe to us. Give us a like too as well. So we are really appreciative to our listeners tuning in as well. So as we get into this fall uh, season here in the Northern Hemisphere, the coronavirus cases are increasing. Remember the three W's, wash your hands, watch your distance, wear a mask, and attempt to try to get get outside if you can do any activities, whether it's take out meals and the weather is okay, or you can just, you know, layer up, go outside, have a meal. If you're meeting with people or friends, try to do it outside on the patio in the backyard. Uh, it's important to, 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 to be outside and wear a mask. Those are the two big ones, too. So let's get started, okay? Uh, just a fair warning for our listeners, too. I'm going to get pretty descriptive in this episode. I want to bring you the entire experience of mine, all the way from the blood draws to how my symptoms felt. So I'm going to get pretty descriptive about this because I feel that it's important for you, the listener, to understand my process and how descriptive it was and the impact that it had on me during this trial. So I wanted to, to try to be as descriptive as I can and to give you, the listener, um, an honest representation of what I went through. So many of our listeners tuned in back in the summer uh, to an episode with Dr. Richard Novak. He's the principal investigator for the Moderna M1273 COVID-19 vaccine trial. It's at the University of Illinois Health System here in Chicago. And Dr. Novak is the chair of infectious diseases there. And he's dedicated his entire professional career at researching treatments for emerging infectious diseases. And he's actually spearheaded one of the first HIV AZT trials in the late 80s. So he's a, he's a big pioneer in this. So he's chairing that trial. And if you haven't had a chance to check out episode 14, I would just encourage you all to do so. And uh, during that episode, we basically discussed the COVID-19 vaccine trial. We talked about the vaccine, uh, the Moderna vaccine, the, um, the, the nuances of the vaccine, what the goals are for the trial too as well. So Let's just briefly review this. So the COVE study is the name of this study. So what's the acronym stand for? So COVE stands for Coronavirus Efficacy and Safety Study. So basically, this name implies protection from COVID-19 as, you know, COVEs can be thought of like, you know, sheltered inlets. So they sort of like a, a play on words there, too. So 
Um, that that's what the, the the study is called, the Cove study. And and let's sort of separate the forest from the trees here, right? So what are the purposes of vaccines in general, right? So you basically receive a vaccine to prepare our immune system to fight an infection, right? And to prevent illnesses. That's the goal for our immune system in general, right? We want to produce antibodies, right? They're special proteins that's going to recognize viruses or other pathogens that can cause disease, right? Make them harmless to our bodies. That's the goal. You get a vaccine, you produce antibodies that'll recognize viruses or other harmful, nasty pathogens and make them harmless to our bodies. So for the COVID-19 vaccine, right, it's an experimental study vaccine, and the goal is to protect people from COVID-19, right? So you hope that the COVID-19 vaccine you get, you prepare your your immune system to make antibodies, and if you get COVID-19, these antibodies fight the COVID-19 virus to make it harmless to us. So the the mRNA-1273 vaccine, that's the Moderna vaccine that that uh, that the study that I was that I received, right? So it's intended to boost our immune system to produce enough antibodies again, right? Um, and and this this study is important, right? For for two main reasons, right? So we want to make sure that the Moderna vaccine can prevent COVID-19. And we want to make sure it's safe, right? Those are the two big things, right? Safety and efficacy. Safety and efficacy, right? So this study, let's get to the details, right? So about 30,000 people here in the United States are going to take part of this. Um, I was one of them. And there are about 80 to 100 sites around the U.S. from major academic centers like the University of Illinois to other hospitals and clinics that have it. Um, and, and that's where I was enrolled. I was enrolled here at the University of Illinois at Chicago um, in the Division of Infectious Disease. And they have a, a Project WISH um, group that is uh, um, running the study. So let, the gist of the study is this, right? So if you enroll, it's basically a flip of the coin. You have a 50-50 chance if you're going to receive two doses of the experimental study vaccine, which was 100 micrograms was the dosing, um, or if you get a placebo, so basically a saline water injection, it has no active ingredients. Again, we don't know, the study participants don't know if they got the experimental or the placebo vaccine, and neither do the researchers too. Um, and, and that makes it essentially a double-blind placebo-controlled study. It's it, it's the gold standard of if you're going to study a, a, a an investigational drug um, to use a double-blind placebo-controlled study. So this is what it was. Um, again, I didn't know if I received the experimental or the placebo when I um, when I enrolled in the study, and neither do the volunteers. So let's get to why I volunteered, right? Um, to be candid, I thought I would be an ideal candidate to be in the study. Right? I'm a minority. I'm a health worker. So I'm a doctor. I see patients too during the pandemic. I have two kids. They're in school right now. Uh, one of my children is going five days a week to school. My other child is going to two days a week. It's sort of hybrid learning, a blending a, an off-campus learning. So they're in school. They're being exposed to as well. So when they come home, you know, us parents are exposed to as well. So 
I thought that it would be ideal for me, given the fact that I'm a healthcare worker, I'm a minority, um, and my kids are in school. So I have increased risk of exposure, right? So I thought that I would be an ideal candidate in addition, contributing to scientific data um, to help answer questions about the safety of the vaccine and if it's efficacious would be uh, helpful on a larger public health scale. But also, too, you know, I have a background in immunology. I'm an allergy immunology specialist. I'm a physician, too, so I understand how vaccines work. And participating in an experimental vaccine trial, I thought would be a really educational experience for myself. Um, but also, you know, volunteering for a trial like this, it's a pretty big commitment. And you also risk yourself, you know, your health, your time. It's a, a lot of effort, too. So we have six in-person visits for this trial. Um, there's 25 safety telephone calls. There's a ton of app surveys that you have to do over a period of 25 months. And, um, you know, if you end up being diagnosed with COVID-19, there are even extra visits on top of that, too. So it's a big time commitment. And not only that, you're risking, you know, your your health and safety, potentially, if there are adverse uh, events. But another part that I want to be candid with, with our listeners here, um, I felt a great desire to be a part of this trial because, I had a pretty good example to follow. Um, for those of you who don't know, my mother, um, you know, was a great example for me participating in experimental trials. She was diagnosed with um, early pre-B cell leukemia in 2010, and she was fortunate to receive treatment at a really large academic center. Um, and that allowed her the opportunity to participate in leukemia drug and procedure trials that were sponsored by the National Cancer Institute. And she did that. She literally participated in many different trials uh, for her the treatment of her leukemia. And in total, she probably participated in, I want to say over four, maybe even five to seven. And in each trial that she would participate in, she always said, hey, Dave, you know, there's a risk that this trial, this medication or procedure could hurt me. But if I'm contributing to science in some way, shape, or form, and it could extend my life, why wouldn't I want to contribute? And so, to be candid, my mom set a great example for me, and I wanted to do the same, too, in a small way. So, let's get to my experience here. So, what it started out with was me essentially emailing Project Wish over at the University of Illinois to see if I could get enrolled in the study. And... So I sent him an email, and after a few days, they, I got a call from one of the study coordinators, and we spoke for about like 10 minutes or so. She asked me a variety of questions, you know, if I've ever had COVID-19 in the past, or did I have a history of, you know, immune dysfunction, or any sort of, you know, conditions, health conditions that would exclude me from the study. So a little bit of background on myself, right? Um, I'm a pretty healthy guy. I just turned 40. Um I have a history of hypothyroidism, so I was diagnosed with um, low thyroid hormone uh, way back in 2005, so I've had it for a long time. It's been followed by my doctors, and, I, and I've been healthy since, um, but that's pretty much it. Um, I do yoga a few times a week. I try to stay healthy. I'm a vegetarian. Um, I try to meditate on a daily basis. I'm about 5 feet 11, 
Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm about a hundred and a little over 150 pounds soaking wet. So I'm a pretty thin guy. I, I, I really try to watch what I eat. Um, I do intermittent fasting, you know, um, on a daily basis. And so try to sleep, you know, as much as I can, um, you know, a good seven, eight hours a night. Um, I try to reduce the stress as much as I can in my life. So, um, Collectively, based on everything I told to the study coordinator, she felt that I would be an acceptable candidate to enroll in the uh, in the in the study. So, right then and there, they scheduled my first vaccine appointment. So that was for Thursday, September third, two thousand and twenty. Uh, they sent me a follow up email uh, with the study protocol and directions how to get to the clinic. So the study protocol. Let's talk about that. It's like twenty four pages long. And there is a huge section in there that just answers so many questions that you would naturally have. You know, what are the goals of the study? Um, how the protocol works in terms of the logistics, the calendar, the days of the injections, the blood draws, etc. cetera, um, to emergency numbers, to, you know, how the study takes place over 25 months. So um, that was basically it. So September 3rd, 2020. Let's uh, get to that. So that's my first visit. Um, went to the Clinical Research Center at 10 in the morning at, at University of Illinois. Everybody was really courteous. There's such a friendly group of people there. Um, they, um, they went through, um, you know, all of the process. I had to clear a, a COVID-19 protocol. You know, you sent your survey the night before just to make sure you didn't have any symptoms. Um, ushered into the um, Clinical Research Center patient exam room, and the staff there are just tremendous. So the nurse came in, they did my vital signs, um, completely normal, my blood pressure, temperature, pulse, my pulse ox reading, height and weight, everything was fine. And so then a doctor came in, and we talked about the consent form and if I had any questions. So after reading the 24 pages before my visit, a few days before, and I just reviewed it before I went in there, I had a couple of, I had obviously a couple of questions that anybody would have, right? So in the, um, in the consent form, it lists the common side effects for the vaccine. So fever, pain at the injection site, uh, redness or hardness of skin at the injection site, a headache, muscle aches, pain, joint aches, fatigue, nausea, vomiting, chills, underarm gland swelling uh, on the side of the study vaccine, and the list went on and on. It's sort of like, you know, when you see a drug commercial and then you have the narrator and then he just lists off like 24, you know, side effects that you can have. And you're like, man, that's quite a bit, right? So naturally, I would have questions about these side effects, right? So I asked the doctor because, you know, my I was early September for my first visit. So they had enrolled a, a few number of patients. They started enrolling in late July. So I actually asked her, I said, hey, look, are people experiencing side effects? And if they are, how severe are they? And for how long? So the doctor couldn't provide me with like an overall percent of people experiencing side effects. Um, but she did provide, you know, the most common side effects that she saw personally um, that, that patients were encountering which was injection site pain, headache, and muscle aches. Those are the three big ones. Um, so I said, okay, well, you know, nobody's, you know, face is melting or they're not turning into zombies, right? So, um, so that's good. You know, it seems like minor um, side effects, you know, that I could tolerate. So my next question was a little more nuanced because 
knowing that the trial is double-blind placebo-controlled and that half the subjects would be getting the saline injection placebo and the other half would be the getting the experimental, I basically said this. I said, well, you know, if the vaccine becomes approved by the FDA or another company gets approved by the FDA and I end up getting the placebo, you know, is there a chance that I can get the experimental vaccine? Because look, if this gets approved by the FDA and we know that when they start to, you know, distribute the vaccine that really, you know, frontline healthcare workers and high risk people are going to be getting it first. There's not going to be that much available for the general public because I'm participating in the trial. Is there a way that I could actually get the vaccine? You know, the real one. And so this is what the physician replied. And it was a pretty neat answer. Actually. Um, she had said that morning, um, Dr. Novak was on a conf video conference call with Dr. Fauci and Dr. Redfield, who's the CDC director. And that was actually the question that Dr. Fauci um, wanted to answer, too. And he actually recommended that, you know, those people receiving the placebo, if there is an FDA-approved vaccine, especially the Moderna one, that they would end up being unblinded, meaning that they were told that they received the placebo and now that there's an experimental one that's approved, they should have that opportunity to receive that. So that was really encouraging for me, you know, so that I wouldn't have to be in a 25-month study having the placebo and waiting to get another vaccine that's been approved, right? So um, I thought that was very reassuring for that. So those are my two big ones, right? How many people are having side effects? Not really, you know, the minor ones. It couldn't really tell me the percent, but injection site pain, headache, and muscle aches. And that um, if I end up getting the placebo and the vaccine gets approved, that they would actually end up, you know, taking me out of the placebo group and giving me the experimental one. So that was reassuring. So I signed the 24-page consent form and we were off and running. Um so first, they, they, they created a, like a unique patient ID for myself. They provided me instructions. So there's like this e-diary uh, downloading uh, that I had to download an app for. Um, and basically, you just record your symptoms for, for seven days after you get the vaccine. Um, and and at once a day, you go in, you, you measure your temperature. So they gave you a thermometer. You got to write down if you have any symptoms on your arm or if you have any generalized symptoms. It's a pretty pretty neat app. And what it does is that app actually goes right back to the study coordinators and they can actually see if you're having fevers over the day or if they need to contact you. Um, so what they did was they actually faxed my consent form after I signed it down to like a holding area where they have the experimental and placebo vaccine was being stored. So they need to confirm that it actually consented to this and they need to deliver like my personal vaccine, right? After they created that ID number for me. They linked that ID with my vaccine so that they knew that I was getting that specific one. The rest of the visit was was pretty um, standard, right? So they did draw my blood, like five tubes worth of blood. Um, I'm essentially uh, assuming, so baseline blood samples, they wanted to know my, my baseline blood counts, right? So my liver and kidney function, my electrolytes. I'm sure they also ran my COVID antibody test just to make sure I haven't had a history of previous infection. Um, and then next, they came in for my COVID-19 test. So if any of you um, have, have received a COVID-19 test, 
Um, actually, this is the, the first time I actually had a COVID-19 test. And so for those who haven't had one, um, it uses a nasopharyngeal swab and it's inserted in your nostril all the way to your, um, through the cavity into the nasopharynx. It's really deep in the cavity. So it sort of feels like a swab going into your brain. Needless to say, it was really, really uncomfortable. So after about 15 minutes or so, um, I waited there after my COVID-19 test and two clinical coordinators enter in with the actual vaccine that was assigned to me. And again, don't know whether it's the experimental or placebo, placebo, um, and everyone's blinded, so we don't know. Um, and even those who, who are actually coming in with the vaccine, they don't know as well. So what am I feeling when they're about to give me this vaccine? A lot of different emotions are going through my mind, right? I'm a little excited, uh, but I'll be honest with you. I was a little scared too. This is my first experimental drug trial, let alone for a vaccine. So they took, um, my non-dominant arm. So we use my left arm in the deltoid. It was a little strange because I've received numerous vaccines before, but this is the first where I had, you know, a study coordinator injecting it and then another coordinator, like carefully viewing the injection to make sure not only the vaccine, when it's injected, all of the, um, you know, fluid is into my arm and they're timing it out like a procedure. So it was kind of, kind of odd, but as the vaccine went in, it didn't hurt. It wasn't like there was a burning sensation. Frankly, I didn't really feel too much um, other than, you know, a syringe entering my deltoid. So they observed me for 30 minutes. They just want to make sure I didn't have any sort of adverse reaction, like a rash, pain, shortness of breath. Um, during that 30 minutes, I felt completely fine, no symptoms at all. Um, they returned in, took my vital signs, and then... Um, Made sure I was fine. My vitals were completely normal like they were in the beginning. And then we just reviewed my instructions for the e-diary. And then I was off back home. So on my way home, I did start to notice that my arm hurt a little, kind of like a dull pain around the injection site. I honestly just chalked it off to the syringe. No big deal. Didn't take any medicine or anything like that. Went about my normal day. Uh, nothing really out in the ordinary. In the evening, um, I showered. I noticed there was really no redness around the injection site. You know, I did the exam of like my lymph nodes around my armpit, completely normal, didn't have any skin issues, just some minor pain around my deltoid. Again, they gave me a thermometer to measure my temperature. It was 97.0, logged it into my e-diary, and um, every all of the symptoms were negative, and I just went to sleep, no issues at all. So again, that was Thursday, September 3rd. So Friday, the next day, went about my normal routine, had some arm pain, in my left arm, similar to what you feel if you had like a flu vaccine, but really nothing more. Didn't have a temperature, nothing surrounding the injection or anything like that. So Friday evening, right? So the next day around six o'clock, I started to feel a little tired. I was yawning a bit. I felt a little run down and then I had some like lower back pain. So I chalked it up to maybe a difficult yoga class I took that morning. Um, but it was about 8 p.m. and I was really starting to feel tired. And then I had a little congestion and um, an overwhelming feeling of tiredness. So you know what I did? I said, I'm, I'm calling it a day. I didn't have any temperature at all. I just passed out sleeping. And the next day, Saturday, I, I slept for literally 12 hours. And I usually sleep for like seven or eight hours, like clockwork usually. And I get up without an alarm. This time I had a really difficult time getting out of bed. 
Um, I noticed that my back pain resolved, but I was really tired getting out of bed. My arm pain was actually gone, but I felt so fatigued that I literally couldn't do my regular exercises I do every day. And honestly, I just decided to take it easy for the day. So I ended up just lying around the couch, watching TV for most of the day. I didn't have any fevers or arm issues, but I developed a pretty bad headache in the afternoon. I didn't need to take any Tylenol or ibuprofen for it. I just, you know, drank some additional like water thinking maybe I was a little dehydrated. But again, Saturday night, I ended up going to bed early that evening, slept again for another 12 hours. And on Sunday, which is, you know, um, three days after the injection, I was still on the couch watching TV for the day. I did have um, another headache that I actually did have to take Tylenol for, but no other symptoms. I didn't have any joint pain. I didn't have any swelling. I didn't have any rashes, no fevers. And by, by you know, Sunday evening, I was pretty ex- pretty confident, you know, that I received the experimental vaccine. It was then when, you know, I matched up the symptoms that the doctor had said on Thursday about like pain and, you know, maybe fatigue and headaches. So I just wasn't feeling like my normal self. And could it have been another illness? Sure, it could have been, but it just, it seemed less likely, you know? So I went to sleep Sunday night. Monday, I felt like my energy had improved literally almost back to 100%. No arm pain, no fevers or anything like that. In fact, the first week after that, I felt perfectly fine. No lingering symptoms. So on day seven, um, I got a check-in phone call from the Project Wish team over at University of Illinois and told them basically about my symptoms over the first uh, couple of days that previous weekend when I was, you know, tired, I had a headache, um, and maybe a little back pain, you know. Um, but other than that, you know, all was well. But let's get into what happened. So at around day nine after my first injection, I woke up in the morning And I started to develop some urinary symptoms, which was really odd. Um, I felt like when I went to urinate, I had some, you know, residual urine left over in the bladder. Um, I didn't have any like typical like urinary tract infection symptoms that you would think. So like burning or pain when you urinated. But I just had this feeling that... um, I had like remaining urine in my bladder. And then because of that feeling throughout the day, I felt like I just had to, to, to urinate often because I just couldn't get it out. And I've never had a history of any sort of urinary issues. And then I started to feel in the afternoon, so this is day nine, some mild discomfort or like a bloating feeling in my suprapubic area, which is basically below your belly button, it kind of felt like this dull feeling. It wasn't like like a stabbing pain or anything like that, but it just felt more like bloating, you know? And then, so this is day nine. So over the next two days, so day 10 and day 11, the urinary symptoms started to worsen. And I actually, you know, it was strange because I started to have like, like a lot of anxiety, like terrible anxiety over these symptoms. I I started to get like sweaty and like my heart rate was a little high. I wasn't short of breath, but it just, the anxiety maybe over like my symptoms or was it because, you know, I was feeling pain and that triggers anxiety. So 
you know, I've taken care of a lot of patients in the hospital too, some of which have, you know, tremendous pain. And anxiety is very associated with people who are experiencing medical issues, you know, whether it's the pain that's causing anxiety or sometimes anxiety can fuel pain to worsen too as well. And that's exactly what was happening to me. Um, and during this time, like my sleep was absolutely terrible. I would actually get up during the night to try to urinate and um, I couldn't really urinate that much. And this was scary because I've never had these sort of issues before, you know? So I, I actually uh, sent a message to my primary care doctor and he got back to me right away and he said, look, you have a few options here. You could, I could go and see him or um, I could go and see urology. Um, and a urologist is essentially a, a specialized doctor who specializes in um, the genital urinary symptom, the system of, of, of humans. And, um, you know, I also told him that like, you know, my anxiety was pers persisting too, is making it really difficult to function. So he said, look, you could, I could come and see him or I could go and see a urologist. So let's just take a minute here for a sidebar conversation here. And I'm really specifically talking to, to males out there. Um, I really recommend that you establish care with a urologist. Do it in like your early 20s for just a routine um, sexual health exam. Um, so testicular exams are important, right? You can do self-exams in the hot shower, good. But really, males, you guys have to, should have a, you should have a urologist examine you. It's just important. And, you know, if you develop any symptoms or issues over the long term, then you have a urologist that you feel comfortable with to go to for long-term follow-up. So that's exactly what I did. So in my, you know, mid to late thirties, a few years back, um, I established care just with the urologist that, that's in the hospital that I go to. And we just talk about, he did a good exam, um, making sure there's no masses or abnormalities of my GU system. Um, you know, they look at your urine to make sure it's healthy. Um, and we talk about sexual health too as well. And um, it was just good. It was a good routine exam. Like you would go to your primary care doctor, just like, you know, females routinely see, um, you know, a, a, a gynecologist, right? For their routine exams, just like males should see a urologist too as well. So that's my brief sidebar. Uh, my advice to guys out there, establish care with a urologist. Um, uh, you won't be disappointed. So as my primary care doctor told me, he's like, hey, go and see your urologist that you already have established care with if you're having these symptoms. So let's continue onward. So over the next 48 hours, my symptoms continued. And then actually I started to develop um, actually some rectal pressure and pain. Um, it was basically like if you've ever fallen down on your on your like behind or your coccyx bone, like let's say you're playing basketball and you go up for a layup or something and you fall on it, um, or like you were doing gymnastics and you fall on a hardwood floor, it, it hurt bad. Um, not going to lie to you. So I actually scheduled an appointment to see my urologist. Um, I got an appointment within 48 hours and I took some ibuprofen. But more importantly, I, I, I called Dr. Novak. You know, he's leading the study and I spoke to him at length to see if this is from the vaccine. And, you know, he indicated to me that, you know, of all of the study participants, nobody has had urinary symptoms. 
like mine or any urinary symptoms. So you recommended that I should see my urologist, keep him updated. And if it worsened acutely in the next, you know, couple of days to give him a call. And unfortunately it did, man. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, overnight after speaking with Dr. Novak, the rectal pressure and pain worsened so bad that at 3.45 in the morning I got up and I emailed my urologist and was like, look, these are my symptoms. Is there any way I could see him in clinic like ASAP? He was so kind enough. He saw me in his clinic at 7.45 in the morning. I got in an Uber and just, you know, took myself right to the hospital. And at this point, all I knew I had the following symptoms that had worsened over the last five days. Okay. Urinary frequency with incomplete, incomplete emptying. I had bladder pressure and I had rectal pressure and pain. So I go to the urologist and I'm like in a daze because I'm in such like a pain induced, you know, visit and it's hard to even like, you know, clearly, you know, think, you know, so he did a thorough exam on me. Um, I did a bladder scan and this is what he diagnosed me with acute non-bacterial prostatitis. And I'm sitting there wondering how in the world could I have gotten this? I'm a 40 year old guy with no history of bladder or prostate issues. So let's talk about the prostate for just a brief second here, right? So the prostate is only found in males, and it's an important gland in the male reproductive system. It's like the size of a walnut when it's a normal size, and it's located in the male pelvis. So it's actually below the bladder and above the rectum, right? So let's go back. So I'm in the urologist's office, and I'm wondering, like, how could I have gotten prostatitis? So we talked about it. He said it could have been excessive biking. So I bike with the kids on the weekends. Not really like I'm not like on the Peloton or, or you know, biking off-roading in the trails. I'm just honestly going around the neighborhood. But I will admit, you know, when I'm biking, the seat is, you know, the prostate is directly on the seat, you know. And if you sit for a long time too as well, you're putting pressure on the prostate. And in addition, you know, non-bacterial prostatitis essentially is, you know, this inflammation in your prostate could stress be, you know, contributing to it. Have I been under stress? Well, after I got the vaccine, I, you know, felt a lot of anxiety, um, you know. So this wasn't an infection. Um, I didn't have any clinical signs of, you know, infection like fever and um, they attributed this all to an inflammation. So non-bacterial prostatitis. So what was the treatment? Um, I had to take ibuprofen, um, warm soaks um, four times a day. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're warming the area around the prostate, um, you're helping, you know, um, to, to, to help decrease that inflammation there too. So that was an experience as in itself. So you're on, you know, doing warm soaks for at least 10 to 15 minutes, four times a day. You get really, um, you know, you get really kind of intimate in, in like, you know, the bathroom situation. So make sure you have, you know, um, a calm and solemn place to be, you know, I had a heating pad. So you got to use a heating pad, um, you know, pretty much throughout the day as much as you can. I also needed to avoid caffeine. So basically caffeine can stimulate the, um, uh, can, can irritate the bladder because it's a stimulant. So my urologist said, Hey, this should clear up in about two weeks. Um, so I aggressively did it, man. I, I did the soaks four times a day. I took ibuprofen, the heating pad. I avoided caffeine. 
And over about the course of the week, I started to feel better. My urinary symptoms started to improve. My stream became stronger. The bladder pressure resolved. And actually, my rectal pain started to improve too. Um, so it kind of worsened after I worked out, but slowly but surely it got better. So I, so I called Dr. Novak back, and based on our discussions, he thought that this was not from the vaccine. He said that this, uh, he agreed with my urologist, maybe this is from the biking um, maybe this was from the stress or sitting for, for long periods of time. But I actually asked him because, you know, um, I, I, I was due for my second injection, which would be on day 29. And I actually asked Dr. Novak, I said, hey, look, can we push back the second vaccine? If you're giving me clearance, my urologist is giving me clearance that this is not from the vaccine. And I actually think at the time this was not from the vaccine. Let's push it back a few days. Uh, because I wasn't 100%. And so um, he said that was fine. Um, so I went back, got the approval from my urologist to go forward with the second vaccine. And Dr. Novak called me and said that was fine. And he, he spoke to Moderna to extend my second vaccine to day 35. So it was roughly about a week later. So here we go. Over the next week, I was still doing my treatment so I could get myself up to 100% before the second vaccine. And you know, as day 35 approached for that second vaccine, I'll be honest with you, I was 100%. Um, I was nervous about taking the second vaccine, um, but I'll be honest with you, I was confident I had the experimental vaccine. So as day, you know, on day 35, I knew that I was going to probably get a response by the second vaccine regardless, right? So I had, you know, tiredness, I had a headache and, you know, that probably was going to happen again the second time. So I decided to go in there and, and I had like, you know, some ibuprofen in my pocket ready to go. I had a long talk with the physician again when I was in the research center about the informed consent and my desire to continue in the trial. But given the fact that, you know, I was a hundred percent better, I got approval from my urologist and, you know, Dr. Novak and myself too, we decided to go forward with the, uh, the the next vaccine. So basically the same procedures as, as the first injection, right? They took some blood. They called down for my, you know, second vaccine. They got my vitals to make sure I was good. Um, and they gave me the injection. I waited 30 minutes to make sure I didn't have an adverse reaction. And then um, I ended up uh, doing fine and, and, and I went home. So I get home, right? probably a couple hours later, and I actually noticed, again, I had some increased anxiety. Um, I didn't have any redness or skin issues, but this time I was prepared. So deep breathing and meditation calmed me down, really. I didn't, um, the anxiety did not get too out of control, um, and it improved, actually. So I went to sleep, and I got up the next morning, and, you know, Damned if you'd if you'd ever guess, but my rectal pressure and pain came back. I mean, in addition, I had some urinary stream issues, and I felt I had bladder pressure, and I was so frustrated. I was like, are you kidding me that this is happening again? So I literally called Dr. Novak immediately. I started myself up on Advil, started the soaks again and the heating pad, and basically in a span of... 48 hours, I went from 100% recovered back to like 50% recovered with a lot of pain again. Um, you know, I will say this during the first week, the team checked in me, checked in on me like every day. 
I've been in communication with Dr. Novak regularly. And Dr. Novak recorded my diagnosis as acute non-bacterial prostatitis as a moderate adverse event to the vaccine because, look, I was 100% better between the, you know, before I took the second vaccine and literally within, you know, the next morning, I'm developing symptoms that are very consistent with prostatitis. So we work through, like, what exactly happened here, right? Um, Could it have been the vaccine that passively activated these ACE2 receptors in my bladder or prostate, right? So the ACE2 receptor, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, it's the key receptor for the SARS-CoV-2 to latch onto and, and enter the cells, right? So could it have been that you know, this vaccine activated those ACE2 receptors in my prostate and, and bladder to cause inflammation um, around that area, maybe? Or could it have been just general inflammation from the vaccine, right? So you get the vaccine, it's activating the immune system, and it's just causing a general, you know, immune response of inflammation that just ended up, you know, targeting the bladder and prostate even more so. I don't know. Um, but let's let's talk. So currently, I am 14 days post second vaccine. We're at day 50. This is the update on my treatment, um, and I'm about honestly 85, 90 percent better. I'm improving slowly. I'm finished taking with ibuprofen. I've taken so much ibuprofen and Tylenol, you know, during the first couple of days after the second injection. Again, uh, I'm still doing a heating pad even in the studio right now as we speak. I got my like cushion and heating pad right now doing the soaks four times a day. Uh, I'm more active now. I have no anxiety at all and I'm recuperating. Uh, I'm doing better. Um, I have a follow-up, um, this Friday. Uh, so this is Wednesday, uh, uh, October 21st. So Friday, I have a urology appointment uh, for another exam. They're going to do a bladder scan. I also follow up with my primary care doc too. So I'll, I'll give you guys an update to you as well, but to be candid, I'm hopeful I'll be back to, you know, 100% within the next week or so. But this has been a wild ride. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, and it's been absolutely, you know, eye-opening for me, to be honest. So I do want to talk about, you know, some thoughts uh, about myself and firstly, whether I receive the experimental vaccine or not. So right now, I'm blinded, right? I don't know for sure if I got the experimental vaccine. Could I get a COVID antibody test? Yeah, I could, right? So there's this uh, process called vaccine-induced seropositivity. So basically, if I got the vaccine, the experimental vaccine, and my immune system are, are, are producing antibodies to COVID-19, my, my antibody test would come back positive, but I actually haven't been infected with COVID-19. Does that make sense? So again, I could cheat, get an antibody test, see if that's positive, and that would be a slam dunk then to know that I was in the experimental group. But I'll be honest with you, based on my symptoms of receiving the first and second vaccine, I'm really confident that I was in the experimental group. So I'm still contemplating whether to unblind myself and get an antibody test. Um, But to be candid, I'm very confident that that I'm in the experimental group, but I'll I'll update you if I um, receive the antibody test. So let's talk about myself personally now, right? Having gone through basically two episodes of acute non-bacterial prostatitis 
for which I actually believe was caused by an adverse event to the vaccine. Knowing all of this, would I participate again in the study? And the answer is no, I wouldn't. Um, had, you know, th these were pretty significant symptoms, you know, and it's, it's caused a lot of distress in my life over the last, um, you know, the last, you know, 50 some odd days that I've been in the trial. Um, not only the pain, but the anxiety and the uncomfortableness and then just wondering, hey, I just want to feel better, you know, and I just want to get back to my old self. How rare are my symptoms? Well, we don't really know yet, right? So we have to figure this out based on the safety data that's going to be presented. So is there actually an association between the vaccine and prostate or bladder dysfunction? So obviously, they're going to be looking at the male data, right? Because prostates are only found in males. And it's going to be interesting to see if there's an actual association uh, between, you know, the vaccine and, you know, prostate or bladder issues in males, or was my symptoms just an exceedingly rare case? But really the real question remains, you know, how will the safety and efficacy data look when it's presented to the FDA? And if Moderna will actually utilize, you know, the emergency use authorization, the EUA for the M1273 vaccine that, that I was in. Um, so, Based on what Moderna has released, their goal is to compile and analyze this data. So my data um, compile with 30,000 other people um, to understand if the vaccine is not only safe and efficacious, right? So it's protecting against COVID-19. They're, they're trying to um, get this data compiled and analyzed by late November. So I think it's going to be wise. We got to dedicate a podcast to this, right? To what this process entails of you know, the FDA emergency use authorization, how they're analyzing the data, because Moderna and other drug companies like Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca um, have come out with their guidelines of what they're using as criteria to deem this um, safe and efficacious. But for now, let's focus on my final thoughts uh, about my personal experience in the trial, right? So if I received the experimental vaccine, it definitely produced a significant number of side effects for me. I had mild symptoms like injection site pain. I had a headache. I had a huge amount of fatigue, not to mention the probable bladder dysfunction and likely acute non-bacterial prostatitis after both vaccines. Hey, I'm a healthy 40-year-old male, right? But these symptoms may just have been like my particular symptoms, but this vaccine could be a lot to handle for some individuals, you know? Um, so we have to really weigh the risk and the benefits of any medicine we take, any procedure we take, right? We need to figure out, is taking this vaccine more of a risk to me or is it more beneficial to me? So for example, if you're a frontline health worker or you're in a nursing home, um, you're a nursing home resident or you're a teacher, a flight attendant, uh, somebody who works in, the, in a meatpacking facility. Y you get my drift, right? The vaccine, obviously, the benefits would far outweigh the risk of getting COVID because we know COVID is a very nasty virus that affects people very seriously, sometimes causing death, right? But if you're a worker and, you know, you're doing remote working or you've done an extremely well successful job maintaining vigilance throughout this pandemic 
you've been at home, you've been limiting your, you know, public engagements, trying to, you know, um, you know, take such good precautions, right? The three W's, you haven't fallen sick. Well, wouldn't it, it probably would be worthwhile to wait until we see how really the general population responds to the vaccines if they're approved, right? So my advice to you, if you're doing a good job at being vigilant through this pandemic and you're not an at-risk population group like frontline workers, nursing home residents, teachers, flight attendants, et cetera, I would wait. See how the general population does with these vaccines when they're approved. For me, I wanted to provide a personal experience to you, the listener, to help you make a better informed decision about receiving a vaccine that has been expedited by Operation Warp Speed and, and likely would receive an emergency use authorization by the FDA. And as we head into the final, you know, sorry, the fall or the winter and these cases are rising, it's going to be a time when we need to be really, really vigilant. You know, you have to remember the three W's. Um, wash your hands, wear a mask, watch your distance. And if you are feeling any symptoms of COVID, to, to, to make sure to isolate yourself, contact your healthcare provider for assistance. So, so that's my big take on this. Um, and I wanted to just be candid with our listeners here about my personal experience in, in the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine trial. As always, you know, we're, we're so grateful for all of our listeners. We really appreciate your feedback and support. You know, encourage uh, all of you guys to subscribe to Dr. Dave on Call. Write us a review. Check out our website, drdaveoncall.com. Um, download, you can download our podcast wherever you are um, on Apple, Spotify. And if you're watching us on our YouTube channel, Dr. Dave on Call, give us a like and subscribe. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, it's a great place to reach out to us on social media. Ask us a question. Um, you can find us on Facebook as well. So I really hope you enjoyed this uh, this review of, of my experience in the COVID-19 vaccine trial. We wish all of you guys um, uh, the best. Stay safe and healthy during this difficult time, and we will see you next time. Take care.